It's 6 o'clock and you are tuned to Community Radio, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, February 9th. I'm Claudio Mendoza and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Some California counties will likely keep masking rules in place despite the expiration of the state's masking mandates next week. But what about schools? Officials in San Diego are asking the state to weigh in on guidelines about when school children can leave their masks at home. Also on the report, details about the increase in the estimated cost of California's beleaguered high-speed rail system. After regional news and weather, Felton Pruitt chats with Vince Herman, one of the founding members of Leftover Salmon. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The statewide indoor mask mandate for fully vaccinated people is set to expire next week, but some California counties will likely keep their own rules in place. In Los Angeles County, Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer says the county will only relax indoor masking rules if it meets certain COVID benchmarks when it comes to positive cases. We anticipate, you know, being able to get to moderate transmission if we can continue to drive down the rates as we are right now on our cases within a few weeks, Uh, but we're not there yet. Meanwhile, in Contra Costa County, officials are still considering whether to follow the state's lead when it comes to ending the mask mandate. Here's County Deputy Public Health Officer Dr. Sophie Mercuria speaking at the Board of Supervisors meeting yesterday. We anticipate a decision and announcement about the county's masking requirement before the end of this week. Regardless of timing, we do, we do not anticipate community masking orders to remain for much longer. But even though mask mandates are going away, this does not mean masks should go away entirely. Several counties, including Sacramento, Solano, Marin, and San Diego, have all said they'll follow state guidance on masks starting next week. And what about schools? Well, officials in San Diego County are asking the State Department of Public Health to issue new guidelines on when it's safe to phase out the mask mandate for schools. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi has more. In a unanimous vote on Tuesday, San Diego County supervisors approved a proposal from Board Chair Nathan Fletcher to ask the state for a safe and responsible path forward when it comes to masking for school children. Because of the availability of vaccine for students, because of the decline in cases and spread we're seeing from Omicron, uh, because of the overall conditions we're in, that we need to start figuring out what is the plan, just as we had lifted other restrictions eight months ago, um, for how do we get in a place to safely and responsibly do that for our K-12 schools as well. State health officials have said they're working with education, public health, and community leaders on updating masking requirements at schools. The CDC says its guidance has not changed as the agency still endorses universal masking in schools. This comes as more and more states ease those rules. For the California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi. The Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors has moved to take away responsibilities to enforce a COVID-19 vaccine mandate from Sheriff Alex Villanueva after he repeatedly has said he will not fire staff who refuse the shots. Under a plan approved yesterday, the county's director of personnel would be given the power to fire or discipline deputies and other personnel who refuse to get vaccinated. Here's County Supervisor Janice Hahn. Unfortunately, the sheriff's department is the only department in the county that's refused to implement this policy. And that's, I think, why we're here today. I think we were left with no other choice. Sheriff Villanueva called the move ill-advised and a death blow to public safety in the county. 
Ready for sticker shock? Well, another $5 billion has been added to the estimated cost to build California's high-speed rail system, bringing the total price tag to $105 billion. This new number is in the High-Speed Rail Authority's latest biannual business plan. Rail officials say more money is needed to limit disruptions to communities along the path of rail construction. When California voters approved a bond measure in 2008 to fund a high-speed rail system linking Los Angeles and San Francisco, construction costs were put at $40 billion. Since then, there's been a steady escalation of both costs and construction delays. Brian Kelly, the Rail Authority CEO, says he hopes to address a shortfall in funding by obtaining new federal infrastructure money. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. PersonalCapital.com. Paint Care. Now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at PaintCare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. In far northern California, the town of Paradise continues the slow, painstaking, and painful process of rebuilding from 2018's campfire. As KQED's Dan Brecky reports, part of that process involves confronting the history of why the tragedy happened. Butte County District Attorney Mike Ramsey calls it the killer hook. This, at the time of its manufacture, uh, we saw in the catalog book, about 17 cents, around $15 now. For nearly a century, that inexpensive piece of iron helped suspend a high-voltage power line running through the rugged Feather River Canyon. But overlooked for years by PG&E inspections, the hook deteriorated. When it snapped in November 2018, it helped provide the spark that touched off the campfire. The blaze killed scores of people in the town of Paradise and nearby communities and burned nearly 14,000 homes. Because of that, we're here for kind of a sad turnover in a way, uh, but an important one. On a recent morning in Oroville, Ramsey was handing over the hook to the Gold Nugget History Museum, which burned down when the fire swept through Paradise. The hook was a central piece of evidence in Ramsey's case against PG&E, which pleaded guilty to 84 counts of involuntary manslaughter for touching off the fire. Mark Thorpe is the Gold Nugget Museum's executive director and says the hook and other evidence from the criminal case will be key to future understanding of how and why the catastrophe happened. Uh, there's no way, no two ways about it. Uh, people are going to have their opinions about this. It's going to be our responsibility to provide the facts so that people can assimilate those and make their own determinations. Like many in Paradise, Thorpe says PG&E can do much more than it has so far to help the town and its people recover. He says the company should play a role in helping the museum teach future generations about the disaster. He'd like them to pay for the exhibit. They can finance this exhibit. They would be able to come forward and make it so that the posterity will be educated by the process regardless of blame. Again, this is an educational moment. PG&E has the opportunity to learn. So do our kids down the line. And if we miss this opportunity because we don't have the funding, it's tragedy on top of a tragedy. 
Thorpe says the relocated museum hopes to begin displaying the broken PG&E hook and other evidence from the campfire by the end of this month. For the California Report, I'm Dan Brecky in Paradise. And that is the California Report for Wednesday, February 9th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. And talk to you tomorrow. Here in Nevada County, this afternoon, Public Health reported 81 new lab-confirmed COVID-19 cases. 4,676 cases are currently active. 31 cases remain hospitalized. With Omicron transmission rates still very high here in Nevada County, this afternoon in a media Q&A, Nevada County's new public health officer, Dr. Sherilyn Cook, offered a quick reminder of what to do if you test positive. So if one tests positive, the standard is to basically stay at home for 10 days and you're going to um, isolate oneself if you're testing positive. They did come out with new rules where you could test after five days with the antigen test. And if you're negative, you could potentially come out of isolation, but you would still have to wear a mask for an additional five days. If you test positive at that five days, you just have to stay in isolation the rest of the 10 to complete the 10 day isolation. You also have to not have a fever for 24 hours and your symptoms have to be significantly improved or resolved. And the tricky thing about the Omicron variant is that symptoms come on, you know, it it comes up pretty quickly and it's so contagious. You may not have any symptoms and you may have already spread it before you even diagnose and start to isolate. So that's been one of the problems, but we've also had experience where people come out of isolation too soon and spread it to others. As reported on Ubanet.com, Yuba County detectives are investigating a homicide and assault with a knife in last month's stabbing of two teenage boys from Nevada County that allegedly occurred in the Camptonville area of Yuba County. At approximately 9 p.m. on January 28, 2022, two stabbing victims were transported from Highway 49 in Nevada County to a local hospital. Yuba County Sheriff's Office was contacted by Nevada County Sheriff's Office after the assault was determined to have occurred in Yuba County. Detectives responded to Highway 49 and assumed the investigation. One victim, a 15-year-old Grass Valley boy, was treated and later released with non-life-threatening injuries. The second victim, identified as 18-year-old Malachi Coleman, was transferred to a Sacramento-area hospital in critical condition, where he later died on February 7th. 2022. The investigation remains active and ongoing at this time. A quick reminder, Slate Creek Road between Ridge Road and the Grass Valley city limits will be closed to all through traffic for paving work, which began on Monday, February 7th, and will continue through this Friday, February 11th. The closure will take place between the hours of 7 a.m. and 5 p.m., The city is asking that all motorists observe all construction signs and the instructions of on-site personnel. Continuing with road closure news, construction activity on the U.S. Highway 50 Camino Safety Project will require blocking westbound left turns onto the highway from Camino Heights Drive. Contractors will be extending the concrete median barrier in the acceleration lane at the Camino Heights Drive intersection, which will block left turns onto westbound Highway 50 through this Friday, February 11th. 
The median will be extended about 10 feet and a permanent crash absorption system will be installed. The work is scheduled from 7.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. Now for a brief look at regional weather. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight clear with a low around 51 degrees. Tomorrow will continue to be unseasonably warm and sunny with a high near 77 degrees. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly clear with a low around 24. Tomorrow will be sunny with a high near 53. In Sacramento, Woodland, and the surrounding area, more of the same. Tonight mostly clear with a low around 44 degrees. Tomorrow will be sunny with a high near 75 degrees. This Friday, February 11th, is International Day of Women and Girls in Science. As such, the KVMR newscast will feature interviews with local women, including an interview with Nevada County's Deputy Public Health Officer, Dr. Glenna Trochet. Not wanting to deprive you of Felton Pruitt's talks with musicians and artists, tonight we bring you a conversation that he had with Leftover Salmon founding member Vince Herman. We're talking with Vince Herman, one of the founding members of a band called Leftover Salmon, which are, I don't know, celebrating 150 years in the jamgrass world. I'm not sure exactly how old it is, but I know you got a new box set out of vinyl and you're on tour and life is pretty good, I guess, isn't it, Vince? It sure is, Felton, man. Greetings from sunny Nashville. Can't wait to get out your way, man. It's been too long since we've seen the, the miner's foundry. It's 70 degrees for like the next two weeks and sunny, so come on out. Ah, excellent. We'll be doing some California dreaming. You guys like to come out here and play in the Nevada City area and a new album to promote and a lot of good things going on for Leftover Salmon. Yeah, these last couple of years have been tricky for all of us, but uh, we've managed to... Uh, keep it together and play some shows here and there. <laughs> We've missed too many, but yeah, we're keeping it going and we're looking forward to a great year ahead and perhaps a little normalcy around the bend. Yeah, let's hope so. Well, uh, we're going to see you uh, at the Miners Foundry and you've got a new album to play some tunes off of, Brand New Good Old Days. That's such a positive title right there. And the whole album, I think, is, is a very positive approach to the new music that people are experiencing during and after COVID? Yeah, you know, we actually wrote most of the record pre-COVID, so it came out to be kind of COVID-related in a lot of ways that we, we didn't see coming when we when we wrote it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you've got songs like We'll Get By and Brand New Good Old Days and stuff like that. I mean, that's very positive stuff. And you wrote that all before this COVID stuff happened, started, huh? Yeah, I don't know. I guess we had our, our radar on, you know, songs about survival. But yeah, then again, on our 32nd year as a band, I guess, songs about survival are, are uh, par for the course. You and Drew Emmett have been playing together forever. I always ask this question of bandmates that have been together a long time. I remember that Yorma Kalkinen and Jack Cassidy said their number one rule was no handguns. What's the rule between you and Drew so that you can tour and play together for over 30 years? Uh, no more than three weeks on the road at once. There you go. That's probably yeah. smart. Yeah, seems to be the the, uh, the breaking point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's see now. You got uh, Andy playing banjo in there, too. Talk about the rest of the band. 
Oh, yeah, Andy Thorne on banjo has become a recent viral sensation with his uh, videos of playing to the fox in his neighborhood. <laughs> Andy Thorne and Foxy have gone viral. He's been on the Kelly Clarkson show and is featured, you know, around the world. Little Foxy comes to visit, but uh, yeah, Andy's a great banjo player, both Clawhammer and and Scruggs style, and a great singer and guitar player, and big fun to play with. Uh, Greg Garrison's on bass. He's been with us, gone on 20 years now, or something like that. And uh, Alvin Robinson on drums, just a fantastic drummer. We're so lucky to have him with us. And uh, Drew and I, and uh, the newest member is Jay Starling on keyboards and dobro and, and lap steel. Really uh, rounding out the sound in, in a different kind of way. We're loving playing with Jay. How long ago was it that you used to play with Bill Payne and Little Feet was part of Leftover Salmon for a few years? Yeah, Bill was with us for a couple of years before he uh, went off to join the Doobie Brothers now and uh, and now reviving Little Feet. They've got a whole new bunch of good stuff in the works. Yeah, it was a, it was a pleasure to play with Bill for those years. He was a, an amazing musician, a, a brilliant human being, and uh, a real pleasure to hang with. We're, we're real lucky to get to play with him. How did he come to be part of Leftover for those years? He produced a record for us. I believe it was the one that was just self-titled Leftover Salmon. I think he produced that one. And uh, we, uh, we became friends and played a lot with him over the years. And uh, Little Feet was on a bit of a hiatus and, uh, and Bill was free. And, and we were without a keyboard player and, and uh, thought that that would be a pile of fun. And he agreed to it. So lucky stuff. You like to always be in at least two bands at one time because I got a record from a band called The High Hawks about six months ago, and you're in that one too. Yeah, it's a really great project, man, with Chad Staley from the Hardworking Americans and Adam Gruel from Horseshoes and Hand Grenades, and Tim Carbone from Railroad Earth, Brian Adams and Will Trash, some, some uh, Boulder guys, Dead Fish Orchestra, and great, great characters and... Uh, you know, it started off as a, as a pile of friends wanting to have some excuse to play music together. And uh, we booked a couple shows and, and decided to write some different material for for the run uh, other than all our individual bands. And uh, the material came out pretty good. And we decided to make a record. I thought it was so a wonderful we, uh, record. Thank you. It's a great combination of people. It brings a, brings a good vibe. And you and Chad Staley, of course, know uh, Strangers, because you guys were in another band years back called Great American Taxi. Yes, indeed. Chad is, is a great cat. has been doing a lot of good for a lot of people for a long time. So, you know, I was looking at your website, and I found out you got a vinyl box set out. Yeah, records over several millennium. Uh. <laughs> yeah, well, 30 years of albums. Yeah, we got them all together and managed to get it all together in one package, and... Uh, it's a little startling to see it all in one space, I must admit. You know, to see all that vinyl yet has uh, been a real treat to have those out. It's, uh, you know, a big package. And uh, I guess it's representative of what I've been doing these last 30 years. And vinyl, too, which is such a cool thing. I mean, we thought it had all gone away, and now you can't buy a CD hardly anymore, but you can go into a store and get vinyl. It's really helped our... Uh, ability to continue making records, you know, in that people are buying hard copies and, and we're able to uh, uh, make the investment in making a record uh, seem uh, 
like a little more than uh, just a couple pennies from Spotify every once in a while. Are you at a point now where you're making as much on vinyl as you are on CDs, or how is that economic yes. thing working? Yes, probably more so than CDs. Now, the majority of them are downloads, you know, so... And that means yes. people have to go out and get turntables to play these darn things. Yes. And mine just went on the blink last night. Something about the power cable. I don't know what's up. Well, I'm sure they got a technician somewhere in Nashville that can fix a turntable. I would hope so. Well, what else is new in Vince Herman's life? Uh, I'm really excited. I, I moved to Nashville a year ago and uh, just recently got my, my first solo record in my hands. Oh, okay. And uh, I don't know exactly where that music is going to be published, what label it's going to go on, but that's uh, what's up next. And uh, look to release it sometime, maybe late summer. Who'd you get to help uh, you out artistically? Uh, well, it was produced by a guy named Dave Ferguson here in town. Fergie is uh, has a pretty good track record. The last four records he's done have been with... Uh, Two of the Sturgill Simpsons Bluegrass Records, uh, Tyler Childers and Margot Price. Really honored to to be in that group of folks, you know. So yeah, Tim O'Brien. I just did an interview with him, and he was uh, singing his praises as well. Yeah, he sings a whole lot on the record, man. Uh, really excited. Now it's 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 a new thing for me to to be doing a bunch of co-writing with a bunch of cats here in town. And I've been really lucky to, to fall in with a great group of writers and uh, came up with a pretty, pretty cool crop of songs, I think. And, you know, 59 is a great time to start a career. <laughs> you know? Well, Vince, if we get a new solo album from you, what's it going to be called? I'm not sure of that yet. It might be any other way. Okay. And any time frame? Uh, probably late summer. And I imagine uh, when we see you out here at the Miners Foundry, you'll have a bunch of the, the new leftover salmon copies with you, or is it just go go online and get it? We don't even carry it. Oh, no. We'll have vinyl and CDs and downloads. And... Folks are going to come and see you at the Miners Foundry. What can they expect from a leftover salmon show in 2022? Well, you know, I, I got to say, I think we're, we're really burning on all cylinders right now. I think it's it's my favorite version of the band ever, man. We have a fantastic rhythm section that is just rock solid. Makes it it's so easy for us to kind of float over top of it and, and do our thing. I'm just really psyched. You know, Andy's a great banjo player. Drew's in top form. Just re really excited about the the state of the salmon in year 32. Well, it was great spending a few moments chatting with you, Vince, and uh, we certainly look forward to the show next Thursday at the Miners Foundry, Leftover Salmon. That's Vince Herman. Thanks for chatting with us. Thanks a lot. Can't wait to see you out there. And that's our newscast for this evening. You can listen to it again on our website, kvmr.org, or by subscribing to the KVMR News Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. KVMR gets support from listeners from all over the world and from companies like Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners, carrying environmentally safe, remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support. Serving Northern California counties, also San Francisco to Lake Tahoe. 
milkmancompany.com. And Carmen's Garden and Greenhouse, locally owned since 2012 on Loma Rica Drive, Grass Valley. Stocking greenhouse coverings and components, down-to-earth amendments, IPM products, and more. Open Monday through Friday, 10 to 5. K-A-R-M-E-N-S garden.com. Keep it tuned to your favorite radio station. Next in the lineup, The Sages Among Us. Tonight, Mary Weaver speaks with Dan Kennerson, founder of local distillery South Fork Vodka. As always, we thank you for listening and for supporting independent local media. I'm Claudio Mendonça. Have a good night and stay safe. <laughs>